Borak Dog Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox. This is the 217th episode of Space Spinner 2000. It's a sleepy episode. Sleepy DB. We're two Americans who are to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for March and April 1990, progs 672 to 675. This episode, Judge Dredd deals with deadly ladies of the human and supernatural variety. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah. We explore the edge with Armored Gideon. Shadows gets the net. Universal Soldier re- returns and the Harlem heroes get recruited. Yeah, that does happen. Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> and if you want to read along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files 14, 2000 AD Extreme Edition 23, and the Judge Dredd Magazine issue 357, getting to a period where not a lot of this stuff has been collected. <laughs> <laughs> Man, well, it's a good thing that we've added more uh, gigabytes of RAM to our brain database, isn't it, Conrad? That's right. And speaking of things um, that are somehow ripping off a movie that came out five years after it was released, (laughs) let's talk about Thrill One Shadows. Oh, so good. I like this one. <laughs> it's fun. Uh, script about Peter Milligan, art about Richard Elson, lettering about Steve Potter. New thrill here, Fox, as, as we know. Um, very early work by Richard Elson here. He'll continue to work in the prog like to this very day. Cool. Um, his style, yeah, his style refines quite a bit in the ensuing years, is what I've seen. So, Fox, okay, serious question. Whoa. Have you seen the 1995 Sandra Bullock vehicle, The Net? Oh, yeah, no. No, I've never watched that before. That's fair. Early one for me. I remember watching I, – I, I remember this um, – um, um, having a crush on Sandra Bullock at the time. I was mm-hmm. 14. Good times. Um, I remember actually like, like the, being very excited for this movie and watching it. It was moderate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but this thrill starts out in a very similar way. But while the net's set in maybe not the present, but like, you know, the present five minutes from now or something. Sure. This is in the future. So – Things are getting real cyberpunky as we start this story and meet Nina, mm-hmm. a member of a powerful organization called The Club. Um, but even that power can't keep her from getting nagged by her mom. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, you're going to get those giant telephone screen calls, you know, once in a while. Absolutely. Yeah, we sort of zoom over this sci-fi London. We see like the Tower Bridge being dwarfed by big skyscrapers, it's flying cars. London. Yeah, things in tubes, it's you know, tube cars, etc. Um, Nina looks young despite being 61 years old because they've got rejuvenation technology. And she's got like short hair and a yellow jumpsuit and hasn't seen her mom in person in months. Yeah, but like you said, you? Yeah, like you said, there's lots of video phone calls and stuff like that. I, 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 gotta, I gotta say there's a, there's a place in my heart for these cyberpunk and like um, – like in like a like a sci-fi stories that deal with the internet before the internet actually oh, yeah. existed. Oh, it's real you know? good. <laughs> like, <laughs> like this really has has a lot of that. I stuff mean, going it nails on. it with the whole labyrinth thing. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, that, like we see her then going to work. 
Um, it seems the club is being something called like a knowledge broker. She's basically just kind of picking up rumors and hacked info to play the market and things like that. Oh, 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 before she does this, she puts on this kind of jewelry like eye and ear based connector thing called a, a Nemo file. No. Just FYI. Yeah. This will be handy for the first Prague. <laughs> I mean, it comes back as, you know, like, oh, okay. like I guess uh, spoilers like this becomes, a th- you know, a, a bit m- m- MacGuffin y here as we're starting uh... out. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, whatever she is in. Whatever she does, it involves a lot of screens, like more than you'd think, you know? Listen, <laughs> like man. Like seven or eight. The more screens you have, the more efficient you are. It's very That's cool. true. Yes. Abs- I think we've all experienced that at one point in our lives, for sure. Um, she, like, ends up, like, getting information about some, like, Pakistani prime min- – or some is- uh, 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 Palestinian prime minister and making money off of uh, off of Pakistani yen or whatever else. Um, something, and, something, and has- president of Honda Ford. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's not important. Um, <laughs> and she makes dinner plans with her boyfriend, Carl. She, she's just doing business stuff. That's what's important. <laughs> she's she's a very important lady, and she has to be on phone calls all the time unless she's getting a cyber kiss from her beau. Yeah, she's doing she's doing business. She's made 300,000-somethings, you know, whatever. Again, buy, business. Buy low, sell high. Uh, ba, 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 trade trade ba, ba, on the ba, ba, margins. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, short 2008 stock. Oh. Um, <laughs> burn. Um, later, we see that she's having an in-person lunch with an artist friend named Jason, who's got a really ridiculous haircut, like a giant green, like swooping ski slope of a haircut. It, it looks like you could put a fucking eye out with that thing. And he's a, he's a gene man. Yeah, he's making dinosaurs or something. I don't know. But uh, on the way back, she gets accosted by by a beggar or something. But they get grabbed by a flying waste disposal oh. unit before they can say anything. It's so fucked up. It's pretty crazy. Nina reflects on how lovely her life is as she heads home and does some deep looking around in the world network. Into the zone. The so, auto zone. Get in the zone. Uh, <laughs> Like, I'm trying, like, this is one of these things that I feel like is very, um, very sort of pre-internet cyberpunk, this idea of just being able to wander through all the data that's available on the, on the matrix or whatever. Exactly. So you can find hidden stuff that people don't want to find. Like, like it's a, like, like it's like a big forest that you're walking to <laughs> through as opposed to, an address bar you have to put specific data into. You it's know? like, you know, so, oh, look, I found someone's uh, giant trove of information that I can now just use, I guess. Yeah, there like the is. closer you get to this in, in in real life is like sort of browsing through some of the deeper pages of uh, Reddit. And then you're just mostly just going to make yourself feel bad as opposed to finding <laughs> <laughs> dangerous information. Or, or just get like co-opted into like a really weird fucking society. Yeah, that, yeah. I, I, I mean, you can still definitely ruin your life. Babe. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm just saying it's in less of a world changing nature, as we'll see. Oh, wow. So it's like you said, she finds an information labyrinth. These are rare, valuable, and dangerous, of course. She goes in trying to plumb its depths, and then everything goes black. She wakes up with Carl calling her because she's late for their dinner. That's not cool. Yeah, I've been here for minutes, darling. 
Um, she wow. can't remember what happened in the labyrinth, but hey, no worries. She heads out to meet Carl, but then realizes she, as she's like walking to the cab that she's still wearing her Nemo file. So she drops it in some kind of random street locker or something. Yeah. Uh, not clear about what this is exactly, but I guess we'll get back to it later. Deposit um, shoot. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't sound like a thing that I'm going to be able to get this from later, but that's fine. Yeah, I think it – because it seems like she can't get it back. It might just be like a, a standing one of those like lockers in a bus station or mm. something like that or whatever. Um, somewhere deep in the computer verse though, her name appears on the screen <laughs> and then it – Blanks out. It disappears. Nina tries. Whoa. Nina tries to hire a tube cab with her palm print, but it doesn't work. She tries again and a message appears in the screen. Error. Nina Coltrane. Person does not exist. This was my life. Easy going. Great time surfing the net. And it all ended poorly. Yeah, m- m- make a note like three episodes from now to uh, find a pretty good picture of Nita in distress and write, uh, yep, that's me. Oh, Guess yeah. you're wondering how it all, how, <laughs> how it how all I happened. ended up like yeah. that. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Nina argues with a taxi readout when another one of these beggar purse people, or a shadows, I guess they're called, called approaches her she tells her to tells the shadow to shove off and then karen's at uh, 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 about the waste catcher bot trying to like, like threatening her with it um and so forth um but then a wage the bot comes and it doesn't grab the shadow it grabs nina oh, oh so no. what a twist it's gonna dump you off in a bunch of garbage oh no you know you know robot is just looking for that garbage to drop people into <laughs> It scans for nearby garbage, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So, dropped in the heap. She's threatening to sue. Presumably wants to see all everyone's managers as well. Oh, yeah. Um, this latte the, is not, It's you know, it's lukewarm at best. Unacceptable. The shadow that was talking to her soon joins her in the heap and would 100% does not believe her claims to be rich and powerful. <laughs> She wanders through the slums. This isn't supposed to happen to her. Oh god, and, it's and, really stinky. And, yeah, and speaking of uh, of us of a cyberpunk movie from 1995, Fox. This part really reminds me of uh, Keanu Reeves's big monologue from Johnny Mnemonic. Oh, for yeah. the record, it screams, "I want room service," which is a good good speech to do if you're like in high school and have to do a dramatic project. <laughs> I'm just hit for the kids. So fantastic. Um, she doesn't know what to do, so she walks to the restaurant, uh, Piccadilly's, where she was going to meet Carl, um, swearing to destroy whoever did this to her. Uh, it's cold and raining. This whole place is filthy. Nina trips into a big mud puddle. An old lady helps her out and then grabs this giant leech that was oh. hiding in the puddle from off her leg. It just takes a big bite into it. Uh, just like, yeah, it's tasty as hell. Mm. <laughs> Get a load of she- this grub. Am I right? God. <laughs> I'm unwell. That's excellent. Ugh. That's a, I'm no. Listen, you can't apologize for that. That's gold. Um, <laughs> she runs through the city of shadows. Her fine clothes and hair get ripped to shreds and destroyed. She's a ragged mess when she arrives at the restaurant. Got those wavy and, stink lines. Yeah, seriously. Like, listen, this has been a pretty eventful thirty minutes. It seems like <laughs> just from how she looks right now. Um, and the places like security guard kicks her out with the, the giant fist of a bouncer robot. Oh basically. man, it's like a whole fucking Dr. Seuss contraption. 
it's Absolutely. got a, it's got a crane hand on the front and the hand picks you up and throws you out just for kicking out undesirables from this restaurant it's pretty good she does see Carl hailing a cab and tries to talk to him but all he sees is another shadow and ignores her okay real real nice move there brosif yeah also he's got like two of those deals with that that's like a nose ring that connects to your ear yeah not a good look and it's stretching he's out got, his nostrils yeah like it's very tight on his head uh, and i gotta say those things uh, uh nose chains they're called I, I learned researching for this and those always give me anxiety fox oh, yeah. i don't know it well because you're gonna rip out the lobe and the nose part that's what i'm saying uh, yeah exactly oof. So Nina stands in the shadow of the tube and reflects uh. on a life she had and what she's now lost. Um, what she doesn't see is Carl's tube cab going the wrong way. And then he's taken to some kind of surgery facility where his brain is electrocuted to death. Which, all right. I mean, there's that. Woo! Dropping that net. Meanwhile, Nina makes her way to the studio of her artist friend Jason, the guy with the ridiculous hair. Um, she tries to explain what's going on, but he's got his own bad news. Carl is dead from a cab crash. Oh, that's not great. Yeah, he apologizes as we see similar brain surgery murders done to Nina's mom, and they're infor- and they're informed of her death when they try to call her up. Like someone's somehow there's an automatic answering machine <laughs> message that goes on <laughs> when that you're just dead. says, "Yeah, sorry, the person you're trying to call is dead." Dude, I, it's, it's like this whole thing. Like death is as natural as birth, and latest reports suggest a fifty five percent chance of the personality surviving body death. It's like what the fuck? <laughs> Ooh, get uploaded to the internet, man. That's awesome. Ugh. That's you know that's the ultimate goal of the globalist fox. But I'm not going to get into it here. I mean, that's um, that's exactly where I want to be. Just get me on the net. Totally. Um, I'll say they avoided this mom murder in the Sandra Bullock movie by having uh, Sandra Bullock's surviving mom have uh, Alzheimer's. So Uh. she couldn't remember Sandra Bullock like at all because of her mental problems, which I'm not know if I'm super cool with, but, you know, here we are. Uh, That's (laughs) that's real tactless. Dennis Miller was in that movie. It was was a weird whole thing. Whole thing in 1995, Fox. Wow. Gonna keep gonna keep talking about it. <laughs> uh, Jason comforts Nina, though we see through a crosshair camera that a bunch of evil dudes have already gotten to him and corrupted him because you can't trust artists. Nope. She explains what happened. Nope. <laughs> she explains what happened with the labyrinth, and then Jason has a change of heart and says she has to run because he betrayed her and they're coming. He is um <laughs> that guy in surviving her here, folks. <laughs> Just pulling a real shot to shit. <laughs> pulling a real Henry Moon by betraying oh, her, man. and then telling her about the betrayal and telling her to run. They so both fantastic. run as a as a pair of murder bots shoot fly after them, shooting them. One hits Jason right in the head, uh, right right in the chest. That guy's dead. He <laughs> dies, telling her to keep running, and she does away from the world she once knew to the one she now belongs, the world of shadows. Just really goopy and drippy with like Nickelodeon gack. Definitely, yeah, very slant. It's like the uh, it's like. Uh, 2016 YouTube, there's so much slime going uh, on in here. All right. It's a joke for people <laughs> with kids. Anyway, <laughs> got a lot of asides to this podcast, Fox. I feel like you're sleepy. I'm trying to make up for the, I'm I trying have, to make up for it with the asides. I, uh, 
<laughs> so Nina's like huddling in a corner. Her clothes are in filth. Are she just got wearing full on tattered rags at this point? It's been like four hours, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> 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 This it's maybe she just you know she just doesn't know how to walk anymore right because she like ju- I, like climbed over barbed wire that's not something that a normal person does that's true and I guess it could just be that like in the future like clothes like the fanciest clothes are made out of really like non durable materials and stuff like that but I just think it's crazy that like we've seen very little time pass and she's gone from like trendy fashion lady to like oh my god like you've been in some sort of explosion or something <laughs> so like what, that what happened to you did a, did a goo tiger attack you what's going on here <laughs> yeah exactly uh, the murder bots are still after her she runs through caverns and corridors thinks about her dead family as a tunnel collapses on to the murder bots oh she no thinks she's, she thinks she's safe and there's actually a pretty cool moment here where she kind of swears revenge and feels the exhilaration of swearing herself to a righteous cause because of it but then the ceiling falls on her as well Uh, (laughs) life uh, finds a way absolutely nina wakes up in a clean hospital bed with Kara looking over her and her mom's there too the whole thing must have been a bad dream and it's all over or it will be once she turns herself in Ah, i'm a ghoul lady Exactly. Things get weird. Her mom says she should give herself up. She she doesn't know who she's messing with. They'll kill her like they killed your mother. It'll be terrible. And then the shadow and then she like the the go her ghost goop mom is shaking her and then she wakes up and there's a shadow shaking her as well. <laughs> and he says, "Do just got okay. the coolest douchebag name." Oh, yeah, you know this guy's cool because he doesn't care about anything. He's got bright red hair, (laughs) wears a hood. Um, He wants to – he, like, sort of idly wants to know what Nina did to get two trackers after her and explains that these bad guys can, in fact, enter your dreams to hound you to make you confess or at least go (laughs) crazy. It's called dream jamming. All right. I mean, that I I would call it something else. That dream jamming just sounds awesome. Yeah. Like, you know – nightmare jacking or or brain scrambling fucking dream jamming you're like man it's like me and and the miz and 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 uh, i don't know just me and the miz i guess <laughs> you the miz john morrison hanging out jamming in dreams honestly it sounds like a real we- like a weird thing uh that like that someone who's way too into uh, bob marley would talk about you oh know? god <laughs> like in a dorm room like yeah i'm dream jamming man oh, but man. um it does really remind me of that thing in futurama where uh dreams have advertisements oh that's in them. yeah that's fantastic like beamed into your subconscious Ugh. um so this hood so this hood guy goes to leave nina asks him to stay he's very adamant that he doesn't care about her and she can't control him i don't want to clean my room <laughs> but <laughs> He also mentions that he can't control her either, so if she wants to tag along, I guess that's fine. I mean, he she, is so fucking 90s. Extremely. Um, she joins a group of shadows moving through the Undercity Tunnels. This guy is, in fact, named Hood. Um, and among them is a pregnant lady. Makes a point about there being no sci-fi fake wombs down here. They arrive. Right. 
at a food farm and Hood gives Nina a knife as we go to see the livestock at the farm. And it's just kind of this big, giant, boneless monster thing oh. called a beef that's being kept alive by tubes. You could just kind of hunk, cut hunks of meat off oh, of it. so fucking disgusting, man. <laughs> Pretty gross. Nina goes to do it when part of it swells and a meat monster in the shape of her own mother bursts forth. Whoa! Oh, man, I really feel like... I mean, so my, my big hope here is that either A, her, they somehow down or up uploaded her mother into beef <laughs> now it's a beef murderer or secondarily it's probably just going to be that she's hallucinating again but i really want real beef mom will you be my yeah, beefy mom yeah so often do i look at the various moms of this world and i say where's the beef fox and i would like that to be corrected <laughs> That's really what she should have screamed when she was coming out. Where's the beef? <laughs> Ridiculous. All right. Oh. All right. How are you finding shadows so I far, like buddy? I like shadows. That cow thing is real gross and made me sad. I like it a lot. Uh, it's super uh, cornball, but I think that's just because it's now and not then. Uh, it's yeah. It's it's like it's like this sci-fi chase story that I think yeah. you know. I I like a chase story. It reminds me of like like a, like a, the Running Man from back in the action days oh, or yeah, something yeah. like that. It's been a while since we've had one of those in um in 2000 AD. I think so. Yeah. Excited for this one. And again, I just like this kind of like retro future sci- uh, cyberpunk stuff. That's a fun genre. I for really me. like the art style, man. Glad they glad yeah. they stuck this to color. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's using the color pages, and I think Elson has like at this point, especially compared to his more modern stuff than I'm used to, like in Kingdom or something like that. Um, his style feels very like rough here. Mm-hmm. Like you know, there, a lot of things are very like 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 left to the imagination or just sort of like like sort of rough scribbles and things. I think it's kind of a, a, it, it's a cool style. Strong agree. And I think it's. And I think it's good for this kind of like weird cyberpunk world that we're only seeing glimpses of, glimpses of and stuff in this story. Mm. And speaking of strange worlds, Fox, <laughs> annihilate. Let's go to thrill to armored Gideon. God, he's gonna spray some goo all over some demons. It's gonna be great. Yeah. Holy water, buddy. Hot and cold running. Wow. Uh, script <laughs> robot John Tomlinson, art robot Simon Jacob, letter robot Steve Potter. So last time. We saw photojournalist Frank White's witness and ambassador turn into a demon and be killed by a giant robot from another dimension named Armageddon. Standard stuff. <laughs> then he was dragged into that dimension by the robot. And now he's on the run as this robot shouts, Annihilate! Yeah, not, as he goes. Not looking super hot for him right now. No, we see this strange world that's full of hot air that smells that smells of blood, the sky torn with screams, the ground sticky and slightly uh, biological. And Simon Jacob just going nuts, drawing these armies of demons fighting amongst themselves. It's really great. I love yeah, this stuff. It seems like a really like nice place. You know, might want to like get a summer home or something. Absolutely. Uh, 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 Frank turns and takes photos of the robot. It's funny because he's doing this as Gideon's chase again. So we, we get him like sort of re- reflecting, like his life flashing before his eyes in one pan, in one narration box and another narration box that's like him just automatically doing the stuff you got to do to take a pictures before auto-focusing digital cameras and stuff. It's pretty cool. Um when suddenly it's um when suddenly the the robot gets distracted by other demons and this is sort of the tone of these first three progs i'm going to say <laughs> is that 
Like, Armageddon is trying to kill Frank, but there's also a lot of other demons that sort of cross his path as he does, so he gets distracted by them. It's um, um, it's real good. I like this weird eye man. Yeah, so so this time, while Gideon's distracted, an eye, co- an eye-covered demon, Gogol the All-Seeing, he even got big eyes for his toes and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I was gonna say that if you didn't. He actually has one shoot out of his knees and go jumping away. It's great. Yeah, definitely. He asks Frank, what's he's, what you're gawping at? What, it's just Armored Gideon fighting some demons. Yeah, um, you know, it's pretty normal, but I want to know all about this here box, what you have. I love these southern country fried demons, Fox. Uh, yeah, he thinks the camera is a weapon because it's based on eyes, and eyes are his deal, of course. But suddenly a gang of tiny eyeless dudes show up and attack him. Man, feels real on the nose. Eyes versus the eyeless. Um, Gogol tries to use the camera as a weapon, but it doesn't work. It's just a camera, so he gets ripped into shreds. Oh, man. And they just they basically just run through him. Yeah, just sort of a big, like, crowd of eyeless demon-shaped hole in the middle of this guy. Um, <laughs> so, uh, suddenly a voice calls Frank's name. It's his editor, Benson. Oh. Surprised to see her here? There's so much to tell you. As her eye turns into some kind of sweet lizard cat, like, oval eye kind of Ew, thing. I'm a bad person now. <laughs> we seem to be we, we come back mid info dump as we see some giant wind whales or nomo drifting oh, yeah. drifting through the skies of the edge going out and then also i guess they just get killed because they're bad i mean everything's kind of demony in here you know whatever um but that's you know there's no ocean so they gotta fly and that's just how it is when you're stuck in this strange land we call the edge man and uh you know Armored Gideon sets his uh, little computer readout display to Harpoon, and he just shocks the shit out of him with a bunch of electrified harpoons. It's pretty great. Listen, this is the kind of stuff that's got to power all those sweet guitar licks on uh, songs such as uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday and etc. Oh, I'm pretty good about that that new song that we're doing. Oh, the edge! <laughs> it's me, your friend, Sting. Play the blue. Um, oh wow! So Benton explains that uh, Gideon is here to keep all the strand, all these stranded spirits from returning to the temporal plane. And like spirits, does that mean we're dead? Yeah, here you're either dead or you're gonna be. Frank snaps a picture of Gideon destroying some minor <laughs> demons. As Benson narrates stuff and readies her claws. Frank asks what she's doing here and then recaps the story up until this point. Thanks. Uh, good time. You know, people get into this thing. You can't assume people going from Prague to Prague. Uh, yeah. um, and he wonders why Benson is here after rejecting his photos. And it turns out this isn't Benson. It's Mab Hagweer of the Ninth Sisterhood pretending to be Benson. Get me pictures of that goddamn inside your body. I'll admit, Fox, when I first read this story, I missed this, this like, bubble of Armored Gideon mm. and spent the rest of the story wondering when it was going to be again revealed <laughs> that Benson was actually a demon from the edge and why no one seems to make a big deal out of this. I mean, this <laughs> that does seem like such a strange, like, missing point. I would definitely change the tone of it. 
Yeah, it, it did for me. Um, anyway, um, Mab's got a plan to get back to Earth by unzip, and the first step involves unzipping Frank's flesh. Oh. But before she can act on it, Gideon's here with a blast of holy water. Annihilate. Gotta take that uh, holy water shower. Definitely. Gotta pay Frank's extra for that. Ooh, it's extra because it's holy. <laughs> Frank's hiding in a cliffside, uh, taking in the strange quiet of this world he finds himself in. He's more wordy about this than I am, but I assure you he's laying a great mood about the edge and stuff. Mm. Um, inside the cave, he turns on a flashbulb, but it's full of Nosferatu vampire bad dudes. Man, my least favorite kind of vampire dudes. Oh, man. What if it had been a bunch of Twilight vampires? That would have been funny. Oh, um, hilarious. Every episode, though, um, of Armored Gideon, we, we get at least one of these giant – of these great full-page images mm. by Simon Jacob. They're really detailed and weird and, and a lot of fun. Um, suddenly, Gideon rips off the cliff face, though, and Frank <laughs> realizes it's not him Gideon wants, but his camera. I mean, I he- just give him the camera then. No, no, you got to hold on to it. That's why you're not a photojournalist, Fox. That's <laughs> That's why. You can That's get why. another Nikon. Nope. Frank grabs it and runs. This one was given to him by the lady in the lake or something. I don't know. Oh, well. Um, Frank grabs it and runs. Gives Gideon deals with his vampires pretty coolly. Like a, oh. a door opens up on his body and it's full of garlic-scented wooden stake missiles as well as a crucifix spotlight. Uh, the crucifix just sort of spotlight shoots was them all awesome. Out. Real good. Uh, suddenly, Frank sees it though. Another warp gate on the other s- gate on the other side of a cemetery. And I like that one of the uh, tombstones in the cemetery is uh, R.I.P. S.D.J. Too many late nights, which I believe might be a self-reference to artist uh, uh, Simon Jacob. Oh. Simon D. Jacob, perhaps. Um, Frank runs as zombies rise from the ground to threaten him, but they in turn run when Gideon approaches. <laughs> he dives through the gate, only to find himself in the middle of a weird cultic ceremony done by the Tabernacle of the Red Dawn. Real, real weird name to give yourselves, but all right. Just a lot of like sort of overweight English people in uh you know shirt being shirtless with robes, doing Satan stuff. <laughs> Wiggling their arms, trying to feed you toenail clippings and uh, chicken gizzards. Definitely, yeah. Indeed, Frank seems seems we in the final prog, Frank's is locked in some sort of a shed in a hamlet in uh, the small town of of a me- or sorry, in a shed in the hamlet of Meldenbury. Where he's being fed a diet of chicken entrails and toenail clippings with nary an onion baji to be seen. Oh, man. It seems that the ceremony that that Frank escaped into was to summon the demon (sighs) De Ansquitter. Oh, man. I can't. (laughs) Sorry. De Ansquitter. Herald of the Red Dawn. And the cultist refused to believe that he's just a photographer. I mean, you came out of the portal, dude. That makes you our god. Yeah, and the prophecies say he would take a familiar guise and want you to go along with his lies. Choose so, the form of the destructor. I know, I'm the key master. Um, they follow him around, singing his praises, being very weird. Eventually, he hides in the shed behind the barn, and he's trapped here. Bad times. <laughs> If I had to tell you how many times I ended up in one of those sheds, Fox. I mean. Goddamn. Goddamn cultists. Some (laughs) tabernacle-ass cultists coming at you, you know. I mean, he's still throwing his arms up in the air, screaming a bunch of spectacle garbage while the man's just trying to get some privacy. Yeah. I think a tabernacle is some kind of altar or something like that. Could be wrong, though. Um 
But so there's a knock at the shed door and uh, it's a young woman named Ilona. She believes his story and asks if he's from the edge or something. She seems very oh. up on a lot of these uh, plot details for the record. Um, and then she goes way overboard. Yeah. She says he's not the demon whose name I'm not going to say again because the numbers in his name add up to seven, which is an important numerological number, I suppose. Fair enough. Oh, God. Um, no. And then she really goes off the rails with this whole Kabbalah shit. Yeah. Listen. There, yes. All the various sevens in the world and stuff. I'll say I think seven's a better magic number than 23, despite what Jim Carrey might think, Fox. Um <laughs> But so uh, she helps him escape, giving him the keys to her dad's car, wishes him well as he drives <laughs> off. With him gone, hopefully they won't sacrifice me. Oh, <laughs> or her, man. You know. Frank is like halfway to London when he realizes what she's just said and drives back. <laughs> Come on, man. He's got no choice. That night, the cultists call out to someone named Jerubal and prepare to sacrifice Eloda with a ritual dagger on top of some sort of sacrificial slab. The first of two times we'll see this kind of situation happening this episode. Oh, my God. When Frank runs in, punches her dad slash cult leader in the face. I mean, as you do. Yeah, but it's too late. Another gate has opened, and from it comes the battle-damaged body of Armor Jerubal. Obliterate. I mean, you know, it just goes to show he didn't need to actually do the sacrifice. Mm, it's true. So, I don't know if you can see, Fox, but if you compare Gideon to Jerubal, they do have their initials on their chests that are different, just to, to, to tell them apart a little bit and stuff. Um... And I believe all this is a reference to biblical stuff. Like, I believe Gideon and Jeroboam were both characters in a story in uh, Judges, I want to say. Okay. I would not know. Yeah. I didn't either, for the record. I had to look it up. But um, we'll, I'll, I'll maybe try, try to look into that more for next episode and stuff. Okay, cool. So they are, they are different bad boys. Definitely, yeah. And you can see that Jeroboam is pretty beat up as we sort of mm -hmm. start. He's got some battle damage and stuff. So, whatever. Weird. Um, one thing I really think is interesting about Armored Gideon, it actually really reminds me of uh, Bix Barton that we just talked about. They're both sort of... Oh, yeah. Like, especially this cult part. Both kind of have this weird, like, small town England doing doing cult stuff kind of feels to them. Yeah, and it's very, like, tongue-in-cheek. You know? I like it a lot. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's yeah. very fun to read. Absolutely. Yeah, there's just a lot of stuff happening at once. Yeah, definitely. Very fun story. Okay, cool. So, hey, maybe less, you, you know, maybe oh, less man. fun, Fox? No, oh, man, <laughs> I can think of two things. Thrill 3, Universal Soldier. He's neither universal nor really a soldier, mm. but it's all this exactly. But hey, remember that? Remember that uh, that one time we read Universal Soldier and it, it had, I guess, a plot? Well, now he's got a wife. I guess we're going to find all about that one plot point that everyone totally remembers. Absolutely, yeah. Script about Alan McKenzie, art about Simon Colby, letter about Gordon Kidd, Robson. A lot of Simon. Oh, why are there so many artists named Simon in Britain in the late 80s, early 90s? Fox, there's a lot. Bisley, <laughs> Harrison, Jacob, Simon, a lot. Anyway, um, yeah, wow. so early work by, by Simon Colby here. He does a lot of 2080 stuff to this day as well. Okay, Fox, I recall from the 89 Spinnies that you do not recall our time with Universal Soldier back in 1987, almost a year ago <laughs> as this podcast took place, I as mean, this podcast is released. I remember there was a boardroom that had yeah. to be at the front and back of the thing. 
Definitely. And yeah. I remember that the man turned or imagined himself yeah. in in situations. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And I guess that was fine, but it was pretty not okay. Wasn't from what super I remember. Yeah, it was not really that fine. Yeah, it was episodes 169 to 172. And it had some decent artwork artwork by Will Simpson. We liked that. And a potentially interesting mm-hmm. story broken up by, like you said, terrible boardroom drama. <laughs> Um, I re-listened to our coverage of it in episode 172, and it's funny because you, you at the end of that, you uh, one promised not to remember this story, and you didn't, uh. which I think is pretty pretty good <laughs> overall. Um, and you compared it to classic bad thrill Angel, like you were like, this is just just like Angel because it's terrible. <laughs> That does sound like something I'd say. This still lives up to that. I'm pretty yeah. impressed that they continue to uh, make it bad. Yeah, now it's back. All right, man. I'm a... really proud of myself. I I know how to take those sweet, sweet yeah, no. uh, pop shots. Good predictions for sure. Um, we we're on a space station hotel. It's covered in ads and orbit around the planet Mammon Seven, where the boardroom scenes in Universal Soldier One took place as well. Oh, really? Uh, okay. I was like, it was in space like that. I oh, didn't yeah. remember. Well, it was on a different – like the boardroom stuff was on a different planet and this is a space – this is like a cheap hotel around that planet basically. Oh, man. Um, a lady sits in a room deathly being sad when a landlord type comes in with a package and asks for rent. She pays him and opens the package. It's a vid slug and she plays that and it's a business proposal oh, that God. basically lays out the plot of the comic, the background. You give a dude a brain chip and lets him access the collective unconscious of humanity to find relative memories from human history To and we, we use it to provide ass-kicking skills essentially. Give a red a brain chip, it can drive a car. Give a car a brain chip and it can drive a man. That kind of thing. Uh, if, yes, you, just, if you give a monkey a brain chip. Just like in Soviet Russia, I guess. <laughs> car drives you. So they implanted it into this dude Max's brain, who's presumably the husband of this lady, who we heard about right at the end. We heard about her right at the end of the final Universal Soldier story back in the day. Like there was a, a throwaway mm. thing. Of like this guy's wife is here to see you and the CEO guy like brushing her off basically. So um, this this is like a passion thing. Somebody really wanted to make this. This really feels like Alan McKenzie, who's now sub editor and also responsible for Bradley, and is in a position to get all of his passion projects made in the course of 2000 AD. Oh man. Um. But yeah, no, definitely. I I don't think anybody was writing letters for Universal Soldier. I gotta think. <laughs> I. <laughs> I have to believe that, Fox. I have <laughs> well, to believe things, that people, people weren't uh, fans of Universal Soldier. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. That's not possible. Especially because cut to opening with three white men wearing sacots. Exactly, yeah. So I, I, I just want to finish up that uh, this lady, Samantha Brewster, has to be connected to a reporter for Galactic Broadcast News because she's got a story. But yeah, so we then cut to Heartbreak Rock, which you'll remember, or maybe not, I guess, but is <laughs> this um, Mad Max slash Escape from New York slash Salsa Secundus uh, prison planet that, nope. the, that the Universal Soldier part of the first Universal Soldier story took place? Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of a of a planet where, where people can, with breathable atmosphere, they just sort of launch prisoners to and no one can leave. 
Um, okay. Then it was like really barren and rainy and stuff, but now it actually looks pretty nice. Like there's a lot of like sort of like rock faces and trees and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, a trio of right of white dudes with quarter staffs and conical hats are walking around. Not cool. Oh. It's looking, looking real out of place. They're they're a three man team of Big John, the and the narrator and the Universal Soldier. <laughs> <laughs> they, <laughs> that's right we never get the other guy's name nope it's very very frustrating for someone trying to write recaps of it fox let me oh tell you <laughs> they come across some warrior woman types getting menaced by some barbarian types and the universal soldier drops a challenge the leader of the barbarians agrees and the universal soldier jumps down with his staff it's fighting time does an anime to- Oh, yeah. And it gets even more anime because Universal Soldier then flashes back to some kind of ancient Japan thing where a monk's fighting a samurai type dude, I guess. Uh, there's some sword versus staff stuff. Fight begins. There's a whole lot of ha, kia, yeah, ha, ho. Yeah. It's real. A lot of. Yeah. Uh. A, a martial art fight commences. Is what I'd say, <laughs> and it ends uh. with the with uh, the past guy and the Unisol kicking in the bad guy's teeth. But he, he can't. Yeah. It's real <laughs> he, weird. Yeah, and he can't see, but he, but he can't see the full end coming, which is just some dudes coming up behind him afterwards and knocking him out with a clud, which is how you get a concussion. Well, see, because he keeps flashing into a scenario that didn't involve those two guys walking up from behind him and giving him a smash. That's true. Yeah, he did, wasn't able to access the right uh, genetic memory. You know, he was playing the wrong sequence in Assassin's Creed for this fight. You know. Oh God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at a at in, in a in a scraped together town, it seems the Unisol. Sorry, in all my notes, I write Unisol instead of Universal Soldier because that's yeah. what they called them in uh, in the Jean Claude Van Damme movie, which has no relation to this, for the record. Oh well, <laughs> but um, it's gonna be hard for me to not just slip into what I've written. There. But anyway, anyway, Universal Soldier's been brought to a town five miles away from where he was knocked out. A very Viking-looking dude sits on a rough throne and surveys the warrior. They say he beat this barbarian boss so fast, he must be a professional warrior, and their All community's right. been looking for a man like that. Great. That's uh, real fortunate. Yeah. The leader has the soldier's wounds taken care of, and we'll talk to him soon. Later, the tribe leader explains how he established this community here in Heartbreak uh, Rock, and things seemed good, until some raiders on sweet purple riding lizards oh, showed those up. those are real good. They got horns and everything. Definitely. Pretty, yeah, super awesome. Uh, it seems this village is mostly white-collar criminals, while the raiders are all violent types. And it's your basic seven samurai kind of situation here. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, because of that situation, the tribe leaders want the Universal Soldier to train them to fight the raiders. He doesn't respond, but I think we can guess what he's going to say. I mean, he's just doing one-armed push-ups in front of this dude, which is ba- – and, like, not answering him whatsoever, which is just the equivalent of being a huge asshole. So, Whatever. Definitely. Uh, meanwhile, a super buff dude answers a phone call in the middle of the night. <laughs> There's been some developments in the Universal Soldier account. Crucial ones, career-wise. Dude, oh, that guy's man. buff, dude. Come on. He's so, he's, he is ridiculously ripped. 
He's so ripped that his nipples are almost to where his armpits are. Like, it's Absolutely. just stretching out the skin. <laughs> Absolutely. Meanwhile, the, unis- the Universal Soldier dreams of one of those purple riding lizard dudes. This dude's got black hair, a billowing duster, and a flat, cow- a flat cowboy hat, and glowing eyes. He's super dreamy. The unis- Universal Soldier <laughs> starts awake and is taken to Chief Abraham's house. It lasts some goddamn names in this story. Oh. Um, <laughs> Abraham? That's what he looks uh, like? He's Abraham? On, yes, because it's sort of a Viking Abraham, you know? Like, like a <laughs> I had, book had of to G- sacrifice one of my kids almost for this box. I had to sacrifice my kid, Newt Abrahamson. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> He's got one thing to offer the Unisol Fox, and that's a sweet green crystal. The treasure of Magos. Too bad it's inside of this dumbass box. Yeah, that's a bummer. Meanwhile, the corporate dude, who I believe is the same corporate boardroom dude from the first story, is on the verge of being fired as CEO for his role in the Universal Social Program. And in response, he goes to a wall safe and pulls out a red crystal, otherwise identical to the green one. Ooh, this could have significance. Oh, man. We're both going to use our fucking crystals at each other. Oh, this is going to be dumb. But at least it'll be Christmassy. Oh, that's that's true. It's quite festive. <laughs> Maybe they'll just s- end up like having a Christmas tree fashion off, you know? God, I hope so. I need Some that. popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. The, the Universal Soldier explains that this is a Universal Crystal. Ooh, it's got oh, links the to fuck? They all, really... the other, all the other crystals from human history, Fox. So it's a chaos emerald. Basically, it's the most powerful weapon on this planet, and he's going to use it. But first, he's got to get this safe open and then figure out how you use it in the first place. That really just doesn't – that's a non-plan. But that can't take too long, Fox. And thus, the raider leader Iron Skull is going to have a big surprise when he arrives as this corporate dude signs some paperwork at a starport, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) What a great way to end this shot. Stay Um, tuned for more Universal Soldier. Man, uh, my – again, Universal Soldier being a huge dick. Just keeps talking over uh, Jonathan Abrahams or whatever his name is. Ugh. <laughs> Eric um, Abraham. I'm, I'm not excited for this story. It it already just evolved into crystals. I gotta say, I I appreciate that they aren't killing time with a bunch of boardroom scenes. But oh, this is not sure. this is not great. <laughs> it, uh, actually, no. I'll I'll say that uh, my one of my favorite parts is when uh, the probably ominous bad guy is uh, just making that big old weird smile. And it looks like he doesn't have a nose. And he's just like kind of behind the characters he's waking up. That was pretty good. Creepy, yeah. creepy smile, man. Moderate. Speaking of moderate, <laughs> Fox, let's go to non-thrills, covers, and nerve setters. Fantastic. Frog 672, Armored Gideon now. We see oh. a big robot, bunch of friends from the edge in the Simon Jacob cover. <laughs> These are my friends from the edge. Oh, my. In the Nerve Center, Thark announces the unannounced start of Shadows and the prologue of Universal Soldier. There's a picture of an extremely paisley hippie judge piece. Mellow Mm. out or you will pay. And a totally insane mid-shock therapy Tharg the Barking Mad. 
It's very, very, very creepy. Really messed up. Letters ask how if Tharg, if uh, Dread took the long walk, how could he have been a judge in Mega City One for the City of the Damned story? And it's like it's, it's like one, like you know, let the story play out. Come on, yeah, come but on, you dungus. Also, the timelines have diverged. All right, I can't keep. I got. I, I can't believe I keep after talking about this. <laughs> like they, this, they, his name they, is Dread. That doesn't mean he's Dread. They nuked Owen Chrysler. That's a whole... The City of the Damned is a different timeline at this point. It's mm-hmm. not the same. Letters compare Biggs Barton to uh, Douglas Adams' character Dirk Gently, which is fair. There's complaints about Judge Morph's missing mustache, which I agree with. And a letter com- uh, compares the revolutionary wave of Eastern European governments in 1989, in places like Poland, Hungary, East Germany, etc., to the Dread Revolution storyline. And Tharg keeps it real by saying, like, hey, keep in mind that uh, in that story, the Democracy movements was brutally stamped out by the judges, so hopefully this won't be a complete recap of that. Of this Oof. the prog ends with a color page um, with a color rap sheet of Harlem Heroes member Slice. He's the muscle Ugh. of the group. He's a buff white dude with a little pigtail on the side of his head to make him wacky, and he's good at sneaking in places, killing people with random objects. He could kill you with like a credit card or a piece of tissue paper if you wanted I to. Mean- that's uh, that's how you get a name like Slice, I guess. Mm-hmm. Proc 673. Things are getting sacrificial as Judge Death looks <laughs> on. Bride of Death by Carlos Escara. Oh, hell yeah. In the nerve center, Thar keeps teasing us. What is Necropolis? We'll find uh, out soon. Oh, come on, guys. I mean, you know, it's next Proc, I guess. Um, there's pictures of a Greenpeace Judge Dredd. Um, and a comp- uh, complete with just a living eagle on his shoulder instead of a shoulder <laughs> eagle. And a very Anglish-looking British Judge Torque. I and the law! And these pictures are by greenlit Allison uh, Selby and democrat-lit, democrat-lit uh, Salvador Fishpaste. I think it's funny, like prefixes what? for names. What the fuck? Because normally Tharg calls people Earthlets, and these were like specific ones, I guess. Um uh. Letters request more coverage of characters from Zenith Phase 3, maybe in their own comic. Uh, there's comments on Slain being clank on clean shaven this whole time. And a previous letter mentioned that Zenith didn't seem to get a five o'clock shadow after three days of reality hopping. And uh. both these letters are from the town of Stoke on Trent. So I assume that this is sort of a joke that all these guys were doing, put, sending in letters about shaving or something. Okay. Um, Another identifies more Zenith characters. And then there's a lot going on mid-prog in this one. There's corrected pages for the uh, Rogue Trooper War Machine story. Uh, because yeah. the, the letters were backwards on these pages. Um, I did go back and mention that this happened in our coverage of 667, though we missed it the first time. I got to admit, Fox. Although, in in our defense... That whole section is very conceptual and almost entirely inner monologue heavy. So yeah, exactly. It feels easy to mess up that the one word bubble is coming from a specific face instead of from a pile of corpses or something like that. You yeah. know. I'm saying that there's a way to read it correctly with the messed up letters. Um, exactly. Also, mid-prog, there's an ad that's kind of a, a wavy line that reminds me a lot of, like, the iconic logo-based imagery that was being used a lot for, like, Batman or Dick Tracy movies at the time. There's also the first in a series of art pages by Mick Austin, Things to Look Forward to. And it's just a bunch of single-image sci-fi jokes, basically. In this case, you look forward to spare parts, like this sweet replacement head this ugly dude's about to install on his oh, neck. Oh, man. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> seem good. 
Mm-mm. The Prague ends with a half-page ad for the start of Necropolis next week and a rap sheet for Patrice, the okay. uh, hacker of the group. He's a skinny but buff black dude with dreadlocks on one half of his head, the other side shaved with a lot of earrings. And he's got these like sweet, like thin, like John Lennon kind of glasses. I don't know. <laughs> and a box with a bunch of wires coming out of it. Well, that's to, show that, that's to show that he's the hacker. That's to show he's a hacker man. And Donatello just had a staff. Yeah, but like sometimes Donatello's got like a like like like, like an ideally or something like that. Oh to yeah, add to that's his tech, true. Tech nature. Six seventy four Necropolis City of the Dead. Escara <laughs> draws the Dark Sister me- Dark Sister's menacing Kraken uh, as Dread, and I really like how if you look at how Escara draws Dread versus how he draws Kraken, like the chin is like a real thumbprint or a real yeah. fingerprint for which is which, because because Kraken's got a real like thick smooth chin, and exactly. Dread's chin's got got a lot more definition on it. Yeah, it's got craggy. It's got, got all them times that he got hit in the face. Absolutely. In the nerve center, Thark says that Indigo Prime will start next prog, but it actually but it won't actually start until <laughs> 678, a few okay. weeks from now. Um, though I am excited about that. There's pictures of a Judge Daffy Duck with a Bugs Weird. Bunny shoulder, shoulder eagle face. Yeah, Weird. that's messed up, frankly. And there's a throwback Space Ace Garp. Yeah, what up, Ace? Looking real hey. angry, though. Hootin' heck. Letters ask if Chopper is the famous death we've been waiting for. No, stop asking. There's more discussion about democracy coming to the Sov sits. And Tharg says to check the cover of the sci-fi special about that, which doesn't make sense to me because it's got a lot of tarot cards and stuff. I don't know. Um, There's also a request for a comic mart in Edinburgh, but you just missed the one in Glasgow, damn it. The Didn't Prague even dress up for it. Mm, we were looking for that. The Prague ends with ads for another new Statesman collection from Crisis. And to zoom out of the shape last time, it's clearly an eye and an eyebrow. And I think I know that eyebrow shape. Oh, man, is that, um, is that dang dare? Mm. Then there's a rap sheet for Trips, the pilot, a Captain Trips reference, I believe. White dude, shaved sides, the head in a ponytail, wears a tank top, and cargo pants, can steal and drive anything, and okay. he's a real cool dude about it. Uh, okay. Yeah, whatever. Okay. <laughs> Prog 675, heroic action. The Harlem heroes get... Get tough on the streets as Silver fires a big old gun while Slice and Deke in the background look on as Steve Dillon Cup. Mm-hmm. Inside the Nerve Center, Tharg mentions that the 1990 specials are done. We can look for them next week. We'll be doing those episodes for them next week as well. And it's time to get to work on the annuals. There's pictures of a judge's soul and a Zenith apocalypse as he watches the world explode. I mean, I feel like he would. He would definitely not be on the world when it happened. No, absolutely. He's got to save his own ass. There's an, ex- an incredibly long letter praising the maturing 2080 style, especially the murder and mayhem of Zenith. Um, the writer envisions Dread staying in the cursed earth long term, maybe popping into the occasional story now and then. Nobody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's also a 2080 haiku. Fair enough. Um Mid-prog, this eyebrow picture pulls out even more, and indeed, there's a title, Dare the Future, which is, all this is a teaser ad for the upcoming release of the comic Revolver, which will feature a Dan Dare comic, but it's all cool, hip, and edgy, as I understand it. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about it someday. That's ample future marathon fodder, for sure. Oh, (laughs) man. 
Um, there's more. Um, there's also we had another thing to look forward to this time. Hollow Games. We see a kid get blasted by a cyber soldier from their own oh, living yeah. room table. And towards the end of the prog, there's mention of Chaos Carnival starting next episode. The Hillary Robinson and Ron Smith getting crazy with uh, future dudes. We also get our final rap sheet here for team leader Deacon, big dude with a half shirt, suspenders, black and pink pants, one of the two <laughs> black dudes in the heroes. He's brave, cool, and the only one able to keep these desperate, disparate personalities together. Somehow. Yeah. And then there's an ad for a Coca-Cola oh, soccer ball championship, which seems to be like a tiny, like hacky sack style soccer ball that you can buy and then compete in local competitions for a trip to go to the 1990 World Cup in Italy. Uh, okay. I guess. <laughs> seems fine. Yeah. But you know what's better than fine, Fox? Oh, I know what's better than fine. And I've been <laughs> waiting for it this whole time. <laughs> Thrill five, thrill four, Judge Dredd. Oh, yes. Time to get real sexy. Yeah. Scripted by John Wagner, art by Carlos Escara, letting about Tom Frame. Countdown to Necropolis Part 2. Rad. A man, Chip, in the Dunk Ronaldo block, writes a letter to advice columnist Ask Annie about his wife, Zena, who's been acting oddly. <laughs> She's become a strange warrior princess of sorts. I feel I, I appreciate you making that reference. I, I'm proud of myself for not going there, actually. I, <laughs> <laughs> but you should feel free. Um, it all started when they were getting it on in their apart when their apartment building was attacked by Judge Death and the rest of them dark judges. This was this happened back in 421. We saw the dark judges running a monk in in Dunk Ronaldo in the pages of Judge Anderson. This is where I don't know if you remember, but they like went to the gym in the block and like killed a bunch of people. Oh yeah, with various sort of death spa type ways and things it's like fantastic. that. Fantastic. Um, there's a really great full page of a uh, of a death threatening Xena as fire and mortis kill a few citizens and. Fears just looking on like, yes, this is pretty cool. <laughs> he's he's much more of a voyeur, you know. He well, wants yeah, to open I mean, that helmet to real I mean, up he, close yeah. and personal. He's got a whole process. You know, can't doesn't just spray people with fire. You know, <laughs> it's very gauche. Death started to kill her, like you know, put his hand in her chest and was taking her life away. When the judges showed up and Death and Co. teleported away, she survived the attack, but ever since then, she's been cold, like literally, and very distant with an extremely pro-Judge Death attitude, which is worrying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like that's something you've got to alert the Justice Department to pretty quick. Mm. Eventually, she came home but refused any physical contact or anything, uh. and one night when they were in bed together, she tried to stab him. Yeah, and literally just never... Never touch me again. I will stab you. Indeed. She canceled all appointments with the shrink and and uh, says again, just never touch me. Oof. And because uh, there's only one being that's pure and good enough for her. And that, my friend, is goddamn Judge Death. Man. <laughs> it's uh, really feel like that's uh, might not be the best of lovers, but you know. That's fine. I guess. Chip continues to write his letter as we see Xena is growing uh, gaunt and has decorated their apartment to be just a full-on shrine to Judge Death. Lots of skull accoutrement as well. Black curtains. 
judge yeah, yeah. several death shrines, etc. Someone uh, went to Hot Topic. Oh, 100%. Uh, Chip keeps trying to talk her out of all this, and she just imagines her life with death, them getting married, killing Chip to seal the ceremony. We see that uh, Mortis would be the minister, and Fire is the ring bearer, ring slash knife bearer. Again, Judge Fear just kind of looking on and thinking that it's cool. You know, he's, pro- he's, he's probably the best man now that I'm thinking about it. Um, Chip brings up the fairly decent point that Judge Death has been locked away in limbo since 1985, but she doesn't care. <laughs> and then she hits him with some kind of mind whammy to uh, oh, make yeah. him like collapse to the floor. <laughs> he then became her slave as she's devoted herself to death, trying to look more and more like a corpse. She grows gaunt and her teeth rot out, etc. Yeah, she tries to like have less blood in her body. Yeah. Eventually, Chip finishes finishes right or finds her writhing in the in bed as strange voices call out. She's made contact with the Sisters of Death. Oh man, that's that's gonna you know just kind of meeting the in laws. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it is nice when you kind of you know when you're dating someone and you get along with their sisters. For the record. Um, even if they are pestilent fucking whatever the other one is. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, that's just sort of how it is for sisters-in-law. Am I right, fellas? Um, they will use her to, bri- <laughs> to bridge the gap between worlds. It might take a human sacrifice to make humans – to make conditions right and chips on the docket. Eh? 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 It'll be pre- <laughs> I mean, she basically is just like, it's going to be pretty sweet when I totally kill you. She says – like, she's very clear what's going to happen. Good God, I'd better write a letter. He's yeah, finished. just leave when she's writhing around on the bed. Real simple. Yeah. Mm-mm. He finishes the letter asking for advice, including a 50 cred coin to pay for the advice service, no. when Xena appears with a knife. Oof. She chases him around, knocks him out with the mind whammy again, puts, <sighs> him, on a, puts him on a plinth, and raises her knife. The hissing sisters cheer her on as she stabs downwards and Tony Chip dies. It's going to be so sweet. <laughs> Come on, stab him. Um, <laughs> the t- and when he dies, the Sisters of Death arrive in Mega City 1, and Xena will have her reward. Yep, a long-running television show with Renee O'Connor. Going to get that bone from death. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's... It's pretty much only made of them, so. Hey, Fox, start playing the drums because because I can feel something coming in the air tonight. Uh-oh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Namely, the fell visages of ju- of us of a nausea and phobia. I call them Judge Nausea and Judge Phobia, Fox. I don't know if they're actually judges, but they got the uniform. That's fine. I'll let them steal valor if they actually aren't. That's fine. Oh um, yeah. This feeling has shaken everyone, even Kraken as dread. And just another note that the the, the story calls Kraken dread here in all these word boxes. So I'm going to yeah. do that too. But of course, very, because he's dread. They put yeah. the dread pin on him. But but just I want to I want to say for the record that this dude is is uh, both Kraken to judge and he's cracking up, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Ah! You're uh, okay. You still got it, Eddie. Boop, boop, be doop. Listen, these puns will never die. Um, Dredd arrives home at, at, at his apartment at the Rowdy Yates block, his trouble sense going off like a jackhammer. He opens the door with caution, but sees nothing, and then phobia and nausea appear behind him. They Two jackhammers. Re- yeah, reveal himself. 
Ah, Judge Dredd, just so you know, you suck. <laughs> I suck. You suck. He shoots him, it, but the bullets what I do nothing. What I do like about the whole thing is that, like, he, uh, it's very clear that he has not dealt with this before in the mm-hmm. writing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, and even, like, previous encounters with the Dark Judges, bullets did work. Dredd has dealt with um, these dark judges with bullets and stuff before, so mm-hmm. it's not unreasonable. Like, you know, like if you shoot him enough, hit him with the high explosive or incendiary rounds, like those have worked. Sure. So it's not like out of the question that he'd shoot them, but yeah, he's definitely outclassed at this point. Well, I, I just sort of mean it's just like, uh, you know, he, he talks about having read about them and things like that. There's oh, little yeah, things yeah, that definitely. just kind of give the, give the game away a bit. Yeah, 100%, you're right. Um yeah, he tries to shoot, does nothing. They engulf him in their foggy bodies, but he jumps free. Man, they he really want for- to engulf him super bad, too. Super bad. Yeah, he calls for backup and shoots an incendiary, but it does nothing. The sisters just laugh and make suggestive comments about, like, ooh, he's a feisty one, etc. Oh, man. And, God, they just stay are. It's the mouth of phobia that really gets me because it's got that yeah, little, it's just, oh, my tube. Arr. Real, real tube mouth. I don't even want to describe what it looks like to me, Fox, because it's gross. Um, <laughs> Dread tries to escape, but finds them waiting for him on his law master. One of them is just like on the handlebars, like pretending, like going vroom, vroom, pretending it's to drive and stuff. Real good. Dread calls his bike with the audio controls and leaps aboard. The sisters taunt him as he tries his bike cannon, but that has no effect either. Um, Phobia sinks, uh, sort of like shinks her fingernails out Wolverine style as Dread rides off to escape. It's got to feel so weird. Definitely. Um, Their ghostly nature, like you said, doesn't match what Judge Death does, but they do seem to be slightly corporeal because Phobia was able to put some claw marks in his Mm. shoulder pad pretty effectively. Dread calls all this into into control as the sisters ride his back and continue laughing like crazy as they go. I love that each like frame on this it just changes to different colors from purple to red to orange, green, blue. They, Definitely, they really neat kind of like color composition through this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, if we didn't know that the sisters actually existed from Dead Man and stuff, this you could this could easily be seen as crack and actually just sort of cra- like like going insane, basically, mm-hmm. or you know, losing his, his his losing the plot or whatever. I'm, I'm trying not to say cracking up, Fox. I don't, <laughs> don't want to just do the puns. I uh, yeah, um, it's a bit of a crackpot. <laughs> One covers his eyes like peekaboo style and he loses control. Oh, man, that's he, fantastic. The bike crashes. He, he gets thrown from it and lands on head first on the curb. Phobia says, enough games. And she reaches into her head, in, into his head, Judge Death style with her fingers like just phase through his skull and says, you will obey us. You Dude. are ours. And by the time Dread comes, comes to, backup has arrived. And I'm sure everything will be absolutely fine. Sure, why not? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Later, Justice Central is being seen by a medic, and the medic's very skeptical about Dredd's claim. Like, totally doesn't believe him. That's such a fucking, like, uh, (laughs) ah. Even if if they knew it was Kraken, even if they knew, which they don't, like, why would you doubt that? Definitely, yeah. And they're still doing it in the, uh, like, in Chief Judge Silver's office where other judges saw no sign of the sisters either. 
And there's theory that it might just be that this new dread's cracking up, I guess, yeah. going crazy. Side Judge Schenker, possibly reference to sitar maestro Ravi Shankar, says that they have been getting some reports of an unnatural psychic force in the city somewhere, but it's vague and scrambled, so it's very hard to tell. And like you're saying, I find this to be very um, – um, very uncharacteristic for the Justice yeah, Department. Yeah, big time. That's a hard you pill know? for me to swallow because they're used to that kind of shit just happening. Yeah, because usually they've sort of experienced enough stuff that, you know, they ha- ha- even if they sort of vaguely don't believe them, they have specialists to further investigate and stuff. I mean, this is the department with an exorcist squad, for instance, <laughs> that we've seen. I forgot about them. Well, and Jesus so- Christ, Cassandra Anderson literally finds – judge death and his cronies nearly every single time like why wouldn't you call in the fucking big guns for this one yeah i mean especially like that recent um anderson story where there was that guru that was like meditating through limbo and judge death tried to come tried to ride him back to reality and stuff exactly what the fuck's going on with that you know, it pays to verify these things, not just assume that the person's going crazy like a police force in a regular horror movie. You know? Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, early days for for uh, ne- Necropolis, but we're getting into it. But we're we're right at the we're, we're we're hip deep on the shore of this of this of this ocean now. Nice. Next next time on Judge Dread, Bride of Death, <laughs> Bride of Spookula. Uh, you know, Spook. I'm enjoying this. It's pretty. I, I like that. You know, um, we finally the the uh, prologue that they did, or I guess like episode or countdown two or whatever yeah. it was. That was pretty good. Kind of their entrance Definitely. into this was real neat. Yeah, both establishing Kraken and sort of getting this. Uh, you know, the the do, doing some prologue stuff as well. God, that whole Spook. dear Annie bit was really. Really I thought it was pretty much funny. For me. Yeah, it was good. Spooky, scary, dark judges offer offer you justice. <laughs> Just ice, exactly. All right, yeah, fun stuff. Really excited for um, Inferno. It's or for uh, Necropolis. It's going to be with us for a while. Speaking of stuff that's going to be with us for a while, I'm less good with it. Thrill Five Harlem Heroes. Man, yep. Script robot Michael Fleischer, art robot Steve Dillon, and Kev Walker on inks, letting robot Bambos Georgiou. I just don't – I mean, I don't understand a lot of why. I I, I guess it's just none of, none of what happened is anywhere near what I expected to have happen. Yep. Yeah, no, it's definitely way different from, oh, we got to play these teams, deal with intrigue. Or even oh. if it was just like a prison thing, just like it can't make up its mind. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, there's just a lot of a lot of things, a lot of a lot of different elements tossed into the soup, into the stew that is this Harlem Heroes reboot. Um, in a prison colony underground, we see a traditional game of arrow ball be played by these new heroes. As that no good warden looks on, whatever else, they're a damn fine. They're a damn fine arrow ball team. <laughs> oh my god. Sure, play a mean arrow ball. Um, but Fantastic. that's bad when a couple of suits from the office show up. I mean, they're both wearing glasses. So you don't know what their real emotions are. One's got a bow tie. One's got a long tie. They got both kinds. I really feel. Yeah, he's doing the skinny tie before the skinny tie was a thing. I don't. I don't know. I think ninety might be a decent time in the skinny tie chronology. At least for the futuristic skinny tie. I would have preferred the bolo myself. 
Of course, but listen, if you were in that bolo, then you gotta be re- you gotta have like a cowboy hat too. Like there's no. <laughs> I mean, he looks like Tom Selleck. He'd be great with the cowboy hat. Everybody looks like Tom Selleck in this thing. <laughs> that that is so fucking true. M- mustaches all over. Um, but yeah, so I guess the uh, I guess these are the guys that own the prison and they don't care for error ball games. The warden explains that it's there to let the prisoners work off aggression and it loosens the lips of inmates when they talk about their plans. Then nah. the heroes are so good that they end up just getting to being nicknamed after the original Harlem heroes. We see like a video of it with some uh, with some original Gibbons art and things like that. And they really um, are trying to make that connection. I mean, and it's dumb because like I said last time, like they should be in the uh, in Mega City 1 at this point and they definitely aren't. And so, you know, because whatever, freaking Harlem heroes is part of the dread timeline, but they're yeah, just oh, tossing, wait, yeah. it, tossing is- it out. Tossing it out. Uh, it's not. Fucking fuck. <laughs> I didn't um, even think about that because they're just like blah, 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 American government and reasons for shit and things. And it's like, all right. Mm-hmm. Yep. The office guys want to know about the heroes. And we get a, finally this team bre- uh, background. Sliced out Troy, the muscle, silver weir, explosive expert and girl, trip pilot, <laughs> Patrice computer hacker, Deacon the leader. Uh, Deacon's the only one without a massive criminal record. But he strangled a guard at a regular, uh, like they just say, re- like call it a revolving door prison. And um, so he got sent, sent to the harder stuff. Anyway, the warden knows they're planning to escape. And when they do, he's going to blow them away. Okay. They keep literally calling it a revolving door prison. Like that's not like like the name that people use like for political scaremongering stuff. But what is actually called, I guess, which yeah. I don't think is, is, is right. But um. Later, guard bots and Fox. One thing I do like is that the guard bots all call people vomits, which is very good fake swearing, <laughs> if you ask me. Come on, vomits! Like that's just yeah, like like maggots, oh, uh, yeah. pukes, mm-hmm. all these sort of like like a like a, a pervasive fake swears. I'm a big fan of you know good. good can can say on a Saturday morning terms. cartoon. Good times, yeah. So they got prisoners unloading a big transport ship while Deacon, Patrice, and Trips look on from behind some rocks. It seems this ship only comes once a month and they're relying on Slice and Silver to do something about it. Silver's carrying a big box. She drops it, comes up with a gun. She shoots one of the guards. Another guard goes to stop her, but gets its head exploded by a sharpened rod that Slice is using. Yeah, sliced him good. Yeah, or something. Sorry, that's the best I got right now. Stove them down. No, that's that's totally fine. That that's what they're going for. That's why they call them slice. <laughs> Sir- Searchlights go on as the as the heroes come down, and Deacon and Slice put on jetpacks and use stolen rifles to take out the remaining guards and searchlights. Aboard the ship, Patrice is hacking the guidance system as Trips Trips gets ready to fly the thing. And, of course, Silver complains. Uh, Soon, things are ready to go and they take off, but not. If the warden has anything to say about it, he comes on their screens and says he's about to kill them. Starts monologuing about about the penal codes that allow him to do this. But before he actually can press the button, Patrice manages to hack the Gibson. And instead, it's the warden's control panel that explodes. Because everything's got a bomb in it? They say that he sent, like, an incendiary program or something like that. That's not a thing. Oh, come on. Sure it is, Fox. Yeah, just Listen, don't. This is why you can't download torrents anymore, is because of all those incendiary programs. 
if there's one thing I know about all the Star Treks, Fox, is that if something happens down the line to something that's controlled by a computer, the computer that controls it will also violently explode. <laughs> that's true. Like, if you, that's why you got to be careful when you're watching TV, because if you watch a TV image of something actually exploding for real, <laughs> your TV might explode. <laughs> that's, that's why we got to buy all these TVs. No camera can ex- can survive filming an explosion. <laughs> That's why cool guys don't look at them. That exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> anyway, soon ship announces they've arrived topside, but when they do, but when they exit, they see the ship surrounded by armed guards. Whoops! I mean, who knew that that was going to happen? Armed guards from the office. It's really, I just keep thinking of that television show. What's Jim and Pam up to this week, Fox? Recor- <laughs> recruiting terrorists to fight drug dealers? Oh, what a wacky escapade. Um. <laughs> oh, we were, go- we were going to try to sell these drugs, but they're all in a big jello mold. <laughs> oh, my. Wow. Also, that's fantastic. <laughs> At the same time, the warden, and we learned that he's called Warden Offax, so good times, displays fake body uh. bags for the heroes and keeps the illusion that no one can escape and they're dead. Um, <sighs> hours later, really yeah, listen, the real Harlan heroes were the friends we made along the way. Um, <laughs> hours later, on the outskirts of Washington, D.C., the office guys are briefing the heroes that Megacorps have taken over, oppressing the people <sighs> through both their corporate business practices and by flooding the streets. With um, like narcotic drugs, and then a, and making people take them with violence and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's so, so to be clear, the graphical representation that they have for this is there's a black line and an and a, a white line that's outlined, uh, and the black mm-hmm. line represents, if this is correct, New York, and the white line represents Tokyo. So as New York has fallen and plummeted downwards, Tokyo has skyrocketed. <laughs> Oh no! They're red. They're wait. What was that? No, they're rising, rising, sunning us, Fox. Oh geez. Oh wow. <laughs> Wesley Snipes on the case. Fuck yeah, buddy. He's gonna need help though from Sean Connery. Um. <laughs> anyway, this is all bad stuff, and the government, or sorry, the office is a covert government organization to fight these gangs owned by the corpse, and to do that, they're gonna hire. The heroes to be their street gang. They're not to take down the actual gang and, and blunt the power of the megacorps. They're not going to use barely any of their aeroball skills and probably some jetpack sometimes, and then just mostly whatever it is the things that they were told that they had to do, like be a lady. I mean, you know, I'm just saying when the world looks like an air, when all you've got is aeroball equipment, <laughs> the whole world looks like aeroball, right? <laughs> I mean, that to me just sounds like every, like, if you ever have a jetpack, everywhere is good for a jetpack. 100%. Yeah. They're sworn to secrecy about this. They'll be uh, killed and disavowed if they get caught and murdered if they refuse, as you do. Um, back in Penal Block 14, Warden Ofac is pissed that the heroes have escaped, even if it is part of this office thingamajig. He I mean, hates that Dwight. That's like, I... <laughs> Hates him. I feel like this is such a bad response to a government superpower. No one escapes from his prison. He doesn't like it. So he's hired some mercenaries to kill the heroes. Uh, Okay. 
At the same time, a dropship is delivering the heroes to their new home, the smoking, asshole-filled slums of the Big Apple. <laughs> Where it's just, it's the, the picture that we get is like some people kind of standing around a fire while one dude just kicks the shit out of somebody. Yeah, like, okay. it's full of assholes. I stand by my statement. Um, in, a, in a warehouse marked Falcons, a bunch of Buddhas are getting oh. shot up. As a suit tells the dudes that the statues contain ten keys of something and like some... But you don't have to shoot the Buddhas. You just have to break the Buddhas. That's just for fun. Okay. I guess the Falcons are, are a Taliban-themed gang. Any, um, and these drugs do look like uh, they, they could be drug packaged. They could be condoms. It could be anything. Um, oh, man. I really hope that it's contraband condoms. <laughs> well, maybe that's the applicator for the drugs or something. Oh, Whoa. no. Oh, <laughs> the window blows open. It's the heroes on jetpacks. Oh God! It's are they going to use arrow balls to defeat these dudes? It doesn't it seems like they're just using guns, which I do kind of appreciate. <laughs> um, they start shooting up the place as this suit with the drugs runs back to his hover limo. Get me to Mercury National, and uh, they go to drive off. the The driver is on the England side of the car, I must say. Yeah. Um, but. Then Slice jumps on the hood of the hover limo, shoots the heck out of the driver, and the whole thing crashes into a wall with a badoom. Oh, man. They, I, I like how the driver had a pistol, but had to explain that he had the pistol instead of using the pistol. On the <laughs> More shooting, less talking. Silver sets a bomb as Trip spaces out. And the team flies off into the sunset as the warehouse explodes behind them. And and a Slice and Silver have a lot of they they're the two main banterers of the party of, oh, of man, the group. I I'd cannot say. wait for their entirely forced sexual tension. A lot of like, oh, good explosion for a girl, and like, I will cut your balls off. I am not joking. That's sort of the back and forth <laughs> oh of their banter. I uh, I feel like someone who is really super into explosives might just explode your balls off. I mean, she doesn't. She doesn't specify how she'll cut them off. Oh, man, a Mercury National uh, at Mercury National, a boss named RJ's in a boardroom. He orders a news report of the hero's action shut off, and it seems they're making those guys are making a big dent in their you know drug dealing to control the populace business drug drug dealing and then violent forceful taking of those same drugs they're trying to liberate our sheeple and i don't appreciate it um, the heroes head home complaining a bit about the office being their boss like that you just started guys come on when we are suddenly looking through a scope and an explosion creates a uh, takes out the road in front of them. Their hover vehicle falls through the giant hole. It's just like in the first Harlem Heroes. Man, I hope the guy who listens to music all day becomes the brain in the jar. Sadly, no brains in jars. Brains in giant android suits? <sighs> Listen. Man, I'm really reason- not going to like this, am I? <laughs> so many reasons why I don't like Harlem Heroes, Fox. This this reboot of Harlem Heroes. Uh... Speaking speaking of which... Oh, <laughs> Thrill Six Future Shocks. Man, this one, it's, this they did they did something with this. this there was a Future Shock I've never seen ever done before ever, which I'm pretty impressed by. 
Definitely, yeah. This one's called Termination Explanation. Script robot Paul Carstairs, art robot Massimo Bellarini, leg robot Bambos Georgiou. A big muscle man in jorts is prepared to fight some aliens when the scene shifts. Because this comic's being overwritten by a bald future dude about to terminate the entire cosmos. And this is how they're informing us of it. To explain, we got to get extremely meta. Oh, God. Fuck. Imagine an empty box. Then add a dot. Mm -hmm. Then add another dot. Yep. Then make a line. Okay. And imagine all the things that you can do in a goddamn box. All (laughs) the art you can think of. Can I put poof on the box on the piece of paper? Great art. Medium art. Low art. Judge Dredd. All this stuff. Lots of clip art. Eventually, though, you'll run out of things, of new things to put on there. Every permutation, yes, even poopy, will be done as time goes by. <laughs> okay. Luckily, with standard human, like the way the human brains work, that's fine. People like see, like like seeing familiar things, and sometimes something old can be considered a novelty. But with the second wave of neuronetic breakthroughs, humanity has gained perfect memory and lost a lot of emotion, which just means that everything's been done before and they get super bored. Okay. Like they've just become super hypercritical nerds, Fox. Because of that, they do what nerds do, which is catalog and file everything into specific groups. (laughs) Make sure it stays in mint condition and keep those rose-tinted glasses real, real clean. Earth exists as a filing system for 2000 AD, you'll be happy to know. And once they've done – that's why we're getting this message in 2000 AD because that's the Uh. purpose of this planet. Um, And now that they've finally finished cataloging everything, it's time to destroy it all so they can start again and things can be exciting. Goodbye. Oh. That's the end of the world. I mean, you know, I appreciate the effort. I thought this could – this was moderately trippy. Like, I feel like I gave it kind of a a jerk read, but I think it's a decent – Yeah. I I would definitely It's a fun little thing. If if Little Tharg came up to me and and handed this to me and was like, hey, look what I made at school today, I would put it on the fridge. And I kind of like Bellardinelli drawing the, all the different art things oh, yeah. and stuff like that. Like, that's pretty good. All right. Next, the dawn of the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> this one's this one's Script a future robot. shock. Yeah, Nicholas Barber, art about Ron Smith, learning about uh, Babu Shorju. Some Americans are touring Scotland and have arrived at Loch Ness. They got windows signs saying they've been to Longleat and Edinburgh. Anyway, these big fat Americans get attacked by a giant Loch Ness monster made of plastic. Uh, I guess. With one of those Tam O'Shanter hats on its head. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens to a bus full of Asian tourists, which is not cool. Um, <laughs> and mind you, the, the like, quote, Asian lettering for the whole thing. Indeed. Anyway, Thatcher will not have this. So she sends the army to blow this monster up, but it doesn't work. Instead, they end up bringing a science guy with a fake accent to deal with it. He theorizes that the beast is drawn to kitschy Scottish tourist stuff, so he floats a big box of real Highland shortbread out over the lock, and then has troops read messages on souvenir Scottish tea towels, which are a thing, I guess. Man, I had no idea. Anyway, all this Scottish stuff causes the monster to collapse in on itself, and I guess there just must have been a period in the late 80s when Scotland got real popular tourist-wise. And so this is kind of making fun of people buying various Scottish souvenir things. Sure. 
Anyway, be on the lookout for the killer haggis. Man, just a barrel of laughs. Let me lighten your day, Fox, by telling you that this is the last future Shock and Chill Prog 6.99. Oh, that's really great. Oh, man, I'm so happy now. Uh, is there another Bradley coming up? I, I can't answer that question. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> Cer- certainly possible. Wouldn't put it past him. Oh, yeah. But with that in mind, Fox, I must know what were your top and bottom fills this episode. Oh, booby. Uh, let's see. Tell uh, me. I know. I assist my brain. Uh, so I am gonna, I'm gonna, ah, man, you know what? I'm gonna say top is gonna be, uh, shadows, man. I really, I'm surprised at how much I enjoyed reading it. It's actually the thing that I read the fastest and read hmm. all of the, you know, all the kind of narration yeah. boxes and things like that. Sure. Um, I like the world cause of the kitsch cause of its kind of goonish nature towards, uh, technology, but I think that it yeah. sets up the world super well. I really love the art, and I love the coloring for it. Um, it's just you know, it's a neat story, like what I grew up with. Uh, you know, um, God, what was that like watching Existens for the first time? If that makes sense. Yeah, Dev. I mean, like I said earlier, like I feel like this comic has like somehow is in, in like not directly but like has a lot of things that are very similar to a lot of movies from the mid 90s mm-hmm. um like with like like the net or hackers or giant mnemonic or i think i think even existence was 95 now that i'm thinking about it yeah, there, there was just like this big glut of like we're gonna do some computer-based things but we don't know oh no like our our nephew might know what a computer is or know how to set the VCR, right? Like that. Yeah, it was, was ninety nine. But yeah, just this like 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 this idea of the internet, um, of the internet existing, and now we're making movies about it. This is very like this thing's coming down the pike. Yeah, it's um, just it it it's so it's so neat, and I'm I'm pretty into it. And yeah, I think that you said it best. It's kind of like this kind of it is a chase. It's a chase movie, which uh, yeah, which I like a lot. Um, that isn't to say that I didn't like Armored Gideon real good. I just, you know, it's super fun and, and easy to get into. Judge Dredd's still, I, in my opinion, building up a little bit. So I'm going to let that rest on its haunches for a little while. Um, mm-hmm. And then, fuck, what am I forgetting? Uh, Bibbidi Bottoms. Oh, right. <laughs> Universal Soldier or Harlem Heroes. I'm going Harlem Heroes. Universal Soldier. Uh, I mean... Uh, yeah, no, it's just going to be Harlem Heroes. I'm not enjoying that one. I, we made fun of it, which was fine, and that made me laugh. But, like, why even... Like, they literally just took the name and the jetpacks, and that's about mm-hmm. it, as far as I can see. And so it's just, like, every time I read it, I'm like, but it's not Harlem Heroes. Like, you could yep. have just called this anything. The jetpack jammers or, or you know, four men and a little lady. Uh, yeah, no, it's yeah, it's it's exploiting the name for sure. I, I mean, I don't even know how much nostalgia there is for. I mean, I I suppose there is. I just don't know how much people have, like. I I guess if you're reading the comic, then you might have read er, like early 2080 when you were younger. So now it's trying to you know repackage it as a hip new thing. And I just yeah, it's yeah not, it's I just no good. I don't I don't get the the drug trade or like the dystopia thing like if it's a dystopia then you know how do these megacorps exist do people even buy anything seems like the whole place is just 
like a, a an inferno of of poor people standing around garbage fires, and then or or Absolutely. just being inside of supermax prisons where you get exploded for like just talking about leaving. So definitely, I don't know. It's weird, and it's it's not as fun as other things. I guess Universal Soldier might be fun. We'll see. <laughs> Seems <laughs> like there's a lot of crystal having, but I I will. I will cede my I cede the rest of my time to you, sir, because I must know. In order to have sweet dreams this night, what huh. were your top and bottom thrills? Oh man, bottom thrill! I mean, bottom thrill! I'll join you with Harlem Heroes. Don't like it, no sir. <laughs> um, Got to crunch this cat sand in my mouth. Mm-mm. For top, I'm gonna say Dreadman. We got we're in this Necropolis story. I really mm-hmm. like it. Um, I really like just this weird story about this guy's wife getting all demonic. Yeah, that I, was um, real good. Big fan of um dr- of a of a of a crack and as dread going crazy um and being tormented by these evil sisters. It's all great, all good stuff. I'm really I'm I'm enjoying it and I can't wait for more. It opened on a sex scene. Like that, I yeah. was pretty. I was pretty like, oh shit, dread. Like there, there were almost boobs. There were like a lot yeah. of boob shots in this one. Absolutely, yeah. Listen, it's for the fellas, I suppose. Um, yeah, good times. And I'm yeah, again, can't wait for more Necropolis. Judge Anderson's going to step in next episode. Oh, I'm really, that's it's gonna be really so great. good. That I like that. I like hearing that, Conrad. Definitely. So. And I hope everybody else liked the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher. The Google Play Store, Spotify, podcast site at spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact spacespinner2000 at gmail.com. On the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages on Twitter. We're at spacespinner2k. For everything else, look up spacespinner2000 and you'll find us there. And come back next week as we'll take a break from our weekly progs to check out the 1990 specials. The 2000 AD mm. special is where mid-tier thrills get extra episodes. This one has stories for Luke Kirby, Armored Gideon, Bix Barton, and Indigo Prime. While the mega specials got a bunch of Alan Grant dreads, but with art by Cliff Robinson, David Roach, and Ron Smith. Cool. And a frankly disgusting amount of filler. Oh man! Oh, really? Like there's a complete guide to these um, two Judge Dredd stories in it. It's crazy. What? It's like ten, it's ten pages long. What? Uh, then, ten pages? It's crazy. And then come back in two weeks as we're back to Prague's as Necropolis begins in earnest. Gideon and Jerubal face off. It's montage time in Universal Soldier. <laughs> Cr- uh, the Kronos Carnival arrives and meets some dragons. And Shadows heads into cyberspace. Oh, cool. Man, we're yeah, actually I'm, we're going Johnny Mnemonic, huh? Definitely, yeah. Almost everything that we're reading in here, except for Heroes and um and Dread, of course, will finish in like in like two more prog episodes. So uh. not the next one we do, but the one after that. So these stories all kind of have shelf lives, but I think that gives them some urgency. It means that we're going to kind of you know rush to the end with them, and I like that. I, I I'd rather things finish too early than too late. I'm yeah, that's honest. fair. Yeah. Should be good. And until then, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid